Bienvenidos a Aral Fizacion. My name is Drew, and every episode we take a formative queer album and we use it as the backdrop for a conversation about music, gay history, and our own journeys as queer people. As you know by now, it's not easy to create a music podcast without music. So, for legal transparency, any audio samples under copyright that we use are entirely for the purposes of review and critique. This episode, we discuss Color by Numbers by Culture Club, which was released by Virgin and Epic Records in 1983. We hope you enjoy listening. I'm so excited about this episode because the thing is, I was thinking about this. Apart from Bette Midler and um, Velvet Underground, we've actually done mainly quite recent stuff. Grace Jones as well. Oh, sorry, yeah, Grace. But no, you're but right. Other than that, well, I don't know. It's funny. I feel like well, we were just having this chat earlier that we also haven't done any like desperately recent or contemporary artists. The mm. newest one we've done is pretty much well. There's Britney and Girls Allowed. Gaga would probably be the most Gaga, recent one. Yeah. I think we've hit a pretty good variety okay, cool. thus far. Yeah, well, in that case, but it's nice to be speaking about something that's like, what, 35 years, an album that's 35 sort years old? Sort of old maiden-like <laughs> pop star. Older, older than me. Yeah. Just. But I reckon for the purposes and the benefit of our listening audience, we should probably just tell them what's just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you... Gasping, drying up like a sponge through this podcast, and then like me having to pour water over you to resuscitate you. So okay, so look, listeners, what happened? What ha- happened was, and I'm just setting the alarm now. Um, I am next week, next uh, fr- Friday. Not that it matters what day it is because um, this is a podcast, but um, it comes out every other Thursday. <laughs> Next week, I'm going back home to the UK just for a couple of weeks. Um, but it's the first time I'm going back um, since moving to Australia. And so, um, as Spice Girls, aren't you? Going to see that um, three important life events are happening to me in order of importance, starting with least important. A very good family friend of mine is getting married. Shout out to Tom and Holly, if you're listening. Um, second most important, my older sister, Sarah, is due to give birth any day now to my unborn niece. Gemini. She'll be a Gemini, but... We love her. We'll love her despite her <laughs> two-faced, uh, <laughs> purposeful duplic- duplicitousness. And making it so hard. Just, ugh. Anyway. Um, and then the most important thing that's happening yeah. is that I'm going to see the Spice Girls. Yeah. Um, far, far more important than the, the life of a new child. So, anyway, to say thanks to Andy for everything that he's done for me over the past year, I thought it'd be really, really nice. <laughs> what better way to a man's heart than through his stomach? Um, so I decided to come over to Andy's house this morning and make for him a beautiful... Sh- sh- is it shakshuka? I think it's shakshuka. Shakshuka. I was shakshuka. Well, shakshuka he was because as I was seasoning said shakshuka... The entire salt shaka <laughs> um, shook open um, and 
a, a good two handfuls of uh, crystallized rock salt fell into the dish. Um, look, I couldn't salvage as much as I wanted to. Um, I tried to get as much of it out as I could, but uh, at this point it was in... It was just all mixed in and it would have We've been, honestly, we've all been there. We've, we've all, all had there. that moment. We've all been that salty bitch. Um, Andy, God bless his heart, deserves a Nobel Peace Prize because not only did he talk me down from the edge, but also came up with loads of great solutions, including at one point we did a sort of like drain half of it out, fill it up with water. <laughs> um, we were throwing uh, vinegar in there, cannelloni sugar, beans. cannelloni beans to try and help soak things up. <sighs> Listen, I I think I I mean I'm I'm getting a headache. Andy says his kidneys hurt. They're actually failing right now. <laughs> so this might be the last episode. Um, but as Andy quite rightly said, it's the thought that counts. And I didn't um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you go into you know in the bathroom when there's always that like rank sponge, which is just like somewhere on the bar. Where are you going? With but it's like super dry mm. and then not that awful heady brand. Oh, but, you know, when you um, run it under the, it's literally just like, <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you run it under the sink, uh, under the tap, under the barrel faucet, it suddenly comes back to life. Yeah. The inside of my like stomach is that like dry, crumbly sponge. sponge and this podcast is going to soak me up. Oh my God, love and, that. Um, We'll be raring to go. Fab. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, if we seem a little bit high, it's because we are on the salts. Mm. <laughs> We've been sniffing salts. Um, but anyway, listen. And I'm sure if anyone can talk about sniffing salts, it's boy George. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> he no Hans, we, we, we don't joke about this. <laughs> he he has substance abuse issues, right? What what or substance? Had. What substance? No, you always have it, don't you? Do you? When yeah. you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. The way I see it is... <laughs> My mum used to say, once an alcoholic, <laughs> always an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest pop stars in the world for a period of the early 80s when things were incredibly readily available. Uh. Um, I don't know if I can sit here in this room and say that I would have um, not... Yeah, I, you know. I smell what you're stepping in, doll. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. It's tough. And especially if you're so young. Um, (laughs) whatever. Um, anyway, I want to tell you a story Mm. about Boy George. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my dad, when my dad first saw, wait, because the first single was Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, isn't it? Yes. I think. Yes. And when he saw... Because we're talking about Colour by Numbers, which is their second album. Just to make it really clear, we're doing Culture Club and their second album, Colour by Numbers. Yeah, I mean, the episode will be titled that. So yeah. unless you're Helen Keller, <laughs> and in which case you can't listen, you can't hear us anyway. Um, but actually, taste we, might, the salt. we might have some blind fans. Yeah. 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 Um, hey Siri, play Oral Fixation, Colour by Numbers, Culture Club. Yeah, ask them... Well, you... If you're listening to this, you would have heard whatever. So anyway, when <laughs> when Boy George first um, came onto the scene, my dad watched the Do You Really Want to Hurt Me video and fancied Boy George <laughs> because he thought that he was 
A woman, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I, I want to talk about, we'll get onto it probably, mm. but Culture Club, for mm. me, I'd never listened to a Culture Club album before. I, li- I think literally I knew Do You Want Me To Hurt Me and Karma Chameleon. Mm. I literally think I knew that. Do I have um, passing my teeth? No, no, no. Um, and, um, and even when I went on that trip around Europe last year, I was there this time last year and, and sort of listening to those queer albums that inspired this podcast. I purposefully didn't download a Culture Club album because I was like, I, I just know I won't like it. Wow. And the true gag, loved I loved it. it. Mm. And you know what I was thinking? Or I was thinking um, earlier today, I was like, is that some internalized homophobia? Of me being like, really, me, like, oh, of, of like a boy, a boy George. He's a bit of a kind of like. Ah, you know. okay. Um, I, I don't know if it's that. That's definitely a real thing that we've talked about. I don't have loads. that much. I don't have that much internalized homophobia. I you don't. A lot, a lot of people have it more, but I wonder if that was me just being like, oh, he's just a bit. I don't know, cringe or a bit much. Right. Let's stick on this though, because um, I know with me, I've had very similar thoughts in the past, but I am pretty certain it has nothing to do with internalized homophobia. I reckon. There's certain acts from the 80s, and I'm sure other decades as well, but the 80s in particular, when there were a lot of pop stars who were so bold in their image and kind of personality that they became cartoon characters. Mm. Just look at um, Michael Jackson, uh, Prince. Bowie. um, Bowie. Like, um, bright, bright colours. Even that, like run of Stock Aitken Waterman pop stars. They were these smash hits cover stars. And, um, but Culture Club in particular, look up any 80s compilation, they'll be on there. Um, any film set in the 80s, Culture Club will be on the soundtrack. They are synonymous with the 80s. Mm. But it'll only really be a handful of songs. So like you said, you know, Karma Chameleon or Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? I'm sure the average fan could could list a couple more but we only really know them from these a handful of huge huge mega hits so i guess where i'm trying to go with this is when you think of boy george in your head or you hear a culture club song you have a very crystal clear image of a time and a place and a feeling and a mood and more than any other decade the 80s can be associated with novelty mm. and cheese and we're all about both of those things <laughs> but for me i've always kind of written off culture club as a novelty act interesting and in doing my reading for this podcast it became very clear to me that that was very misguided because um not only did all four members of the band write all of their own music and produce it all but um as you've just said about this album i think that pretty much every single song on this album their second album released at the peak of their fame is solid. There's not really any fluff. Mm. Um, and it's shown me that they're a really, a, a convincingly just brilliant pop band. And it's like, I, when I was listening to this album, I think I literally texted you yesterday being like, this is actually quite good. Mm. Like I was surprised at how good it was. And I'm annoyed at myself that I was surprised if that makes sense. Mm. But you can also just, there are just, so I love albums. I think we spoke about it when we talked about Girls Loud. I love an album that feels part of the same um, overarching thing, but all of the songs just pull from different references. Mm. Like, if you listen to this album, there's, like, ska in there and, like, gospel and, like... Mm. 
like that last song is the, the last just that instrumental is like almost like it from a musical or something mm. and then you've got karma chameleon and 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 then with that thread of it sort of sounding quite 80s mm. quite of its time um but it was just a much more rich diverse uh smorgasbord um than i expected and i wonder if that's just because I don't really like Karma Comedian and I don't really like Do You, Do you Really Want to Hurt Me? Okay. So maybe that's why I was like, oh, I just kind of like, I don't really mm. care about Culture Club because they're big mainstream hits. Huge. Were, were huge, yeah. but, but but didn't really um, strike me particularly. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway. There's, yeah, you've, you've, you've nailed it. And um, so your, your lol story was that your dad fancied <laughs> Boy George. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, um, yeah. And I reckon it's pretty fucking cool. Sorry, mum. That, um, and the very reason that we're doing um, Boy George and Culture Club for this very podcast, that the early 80s, which we know were a very different time, um, somewhat, he was kind of like almost in my mind, like a sequel to Bowie in so effeminate, so androgynous, so confusing to people, mm. but adored by the masses. And also quite like... Um... There are things about Boy George that I think are really masculine. Like in Melting Pot, in, uh, it's like a live version of it, and he's like saying all the names of the members of the band. He's like, this song's called Melting Pot. And it's like quite, he's like very kind of like, he's not like a sissy in that moment. No, he's not. He's not, um, sorry, when I, I fully agree, but just to go back when I called him effeminate, visually, yes. but you're so right. Yeah. Like he's... He's um, bold and brash and like a London lad. Yeah. And a kind of, you can almost imagine him building that personality as maybe a bit of a defence mechanism. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, getting yelled at in the street for wearing makeup and mm. him being like, you can go fucking fuck yourself. Yeah. I'm going to have to beat that whole thing out. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can definitely see a little, a little gay boy in the 70s wearing all his mum's makeup and being tough as nails. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Um, I actually saw Culture Club a couple of years ago in Melbourne. Really? Yeah, and this is... T- is it, forgive me for not knowing this, is it all still the same original members yes. of the band? Yeah, yeah, So I think they've had a very tumultuous history in that they kind of broke up, t- might be wrong on this, don't know the complete facts, but I think they broke up towards the end of the late 80s because it was all getting a bit wild with the drugs and stuff. And then Boy George had a few solo hits... And then in the late 90s, I think that's when he really started to go down the drain with, I think that's when he had to do like that community service for like tying a guy up in his flat or something. Oh yeah, what was that about? Don't know, didn't actually do, I didn't revise that bit of history. (laughs) Um, But then in the mid 2000s to, to now, they've had a slight resurgence in that I think George is very much back on his feet. He's currently in Australia right now. He's really popular as a judge on... The, the Voice, Voice Australia. He, with my Kelly Rowland. With our... Ah, Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland and some others we don't know. Um, Isn't it Delta Goodrum? And Guy Sebastian. Very sort of Aussie. Aussie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he looks to be doing really well and the band are back together in the sense that they will do these tours every couple of years um, where I don't think they do new music, but as I can um, vouch for, they sounded incredible. Really? And I'm going to tell you why I went. So... Why'd you go? Um, bear in mind I just, what I just said about how, like you, I wasn't really fussed on them. Um, when they announced they were coming, me and my friend Joe, um, 
I was going through a bit of a period where I was, um, let's say I was discovering Danny Minogue. <laughs> I can't tell if this is a euphemism. <laughs> so Danny was having like a bit of a mini career comeback and that she was doing these small little sideshows in Australia um, as like career retrospectives. And I'm aware of how hysterical this sounds as I say it, but I love Danny Minogue. I love her because I love underdogs. I always feel like um, she always gets the rough end of the stick. Yes, no one can ever come close to the, the breadth of her young, is it older sister or youngest? Older sister's back catalogue. Um, pop bangers for 40 years. But um, Danny's got talent. She yeah, can sing. Yeah, I just always felt like Danny was the sort of, she reminded me very much of my sisters in that she was riding on the sort of coattails of the success of the other sibling. And I don't know, it just it just rung bells with me. Yeah. It struck with me. And I was like, mm, no, I'm kidding. I obviously love Danny. No, I thought that would really speak to you in that way. That's why I raised <laughs> it. Um, but favourite uh, favorite Danny song, go. Oh, um, Who Do You Love Now? Yes, that's mine too. Is it really? So good. Oh yeah. my God. Neon Ni We're doing Neon Nights. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. remember when I sent you that, um, the French version of Who yes. Do You Love Now. Yes. What do you think that title is? Can you say it? I, oh, was it Je, je, je Ne Peut What did you say? I've got it on my notes um, do, do you know? No, I don't know. Okay, well, I, I might be able to tell you one sec. It's sort of can't speak French, French version, but don't even know. Yeah, it's um, it's called Est-ce que tu m'aimes encore? Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's who do you, who do you like now? Yeah, right. What's Est-ce que? can't remember. Any anyway. French listeners, and I know there's a few because I've looked at the stats and we've got this one person in Paris who listens, so write in and tell us more about that. Well, bonjour, doll. Yeah. Um, where am I going with this? You so, frothing for Danny. <laughs> <laughs> she, the title of your autobiography. <laughs> she announces that she's supporting Culture Club. What? Supporting? <laughs> Surely they could have had like a double bill or something. <laughs> um, on their Australian tour. And that's I'm... a, ri that's, is that not a bit of a low ebb for Danny? No. Uh, she was performing in her hometown. They're Melbourne girls, those Minogues. And um, Joe is like, you know what? I love Culture Club. You love Danny. Let's go. And I was like, let's go. Um, oh, my God. Sorry, Joe. Joe. Our, yeah, my yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Joe, when, Joe. You, when you said Joe, I thought, I, I, I was just for some reason thought was thinking of a boy. No. But Joe, Joe loves Culture Club. Joe loves Culture Club. Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we go to the gig. And Danny does a set and I'm frothing and the audience couldn't give any less of a hoot, um, <laughs> which is really sad. Especially she's um, in her own hometown. I know, but I was living and <laughs> um, it struck me that the, the audience of this concert were very much kind of like our mums and dads. Um, mostly that vibe really, but all up for it. They were, mm. they were, they were out for a night on the town and the gig started and all the charisma was there. Um, George was definitely very much a presence. His voice is spectacular. Yeah, it really is. It is an incredible, naturally gifted voice. And um, I don't think it's particularly uncouth or inaccurate of me to say he sounds like a black female. I When, when I was listening to the album, I wondered if people would have thought he was black. Mm when listening to it. Without, without seeing the image, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have put, I, I would definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, Actually reminded me a bit of Anoni. For sure. In that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more on that. Park that. Okay. Um, just those, how rich and deep and um, like warm and strong that voice is. Mm. So just seeing it live, uh, obviously as an as an older man, he'd probably be what in his mid fifties now, early fifties. I think maybe like, but even but then even but then something like Karma Chameleon, is quite like he's his voice isn't that sort of rich I think he can ch- I think he's a shapeshifter yeah very much yeah, um, yeah. anyway carry on because that that's kind of pretty much it so that that is where I discovered many of the songs that we're about to talk about on this album mm. um and I, the takeaway from that was well one Joe knew all the songs love that. um loved that so I was feeding off her enthusiasm but I was really impressed by how talented and um, wonderful they sounded and the, I think the reason I pick up on that is because so often 80s bands can make their comeback and they can be a little bit almost washed up, like mm. churning up the hits for a bit of yeah. money because they need to pay the mortgage. And maybe that is very much what they were doing, but I got my value for money. Great. For sure. Love yeah. that. Because there's nothing worse than... Get, like, I, when I was about 17, me and Sarah, my older sister, shout out to Sarah and my as-yet-unborn, when this comes out, born, hopefully, niece... Um, Sarah took me to go and see Duran Duran mm. and I was worried that they would be like you know because I was just obsessed with Duran Duran for some reason were you really? yeah I don't know more than like two songs oh my god oh, I'll make you a playlist right. we could do Duran Duran for this anyway um, I was worried that they were going to be a bit like sort of you know over it yeah. and just you know there's a tax bill that needs paying but like you know when you went to go and see Cher and you were like she really oh, couldn't yeah. have given two hoots yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a shame because it's like I'm still coming to see you and, Cher you know. is Cher Cher is a goddess and I felt really sad after that concert yeah, yeah. it's a shame anyway so they they brung it you were you were you were feeling your culture. You, you felt part of the culture club. Yeah. After that, mm. um, great. And so why? Because you suggested this album. Why in particular this album? Just because it's got the most bangers. Um, in all honesty, I looked through the track lists of the first and the second albums, and I think, I yeah, I guess it boiled down to why I preferred the songs on this album. But there's also something very interesting to me about second albums for mega. Mm. Especially in the 80s when um, everyone would have bought this album. It would have sold millions. Um, second albums fascinate me because so often there's a few... Di- I think there's a few different second album syndromes. There's there's the classic one, which is um, a band becomes unexpectedly successful. And they're pressured by all sides, the record label, the fans themselves, to capture the magic which made that first album so special. And it doesn't always work. Um, it's happened to a huge amount of people throughout time. Um, another syndrome, in a more positive sense, is um, a few acts manage to cruise that wave and are somehow empowered or emboldened by their success and just seem to put out an even better album. And there's plenty of people that we've talked about who don't seem to find their stride until album four or five which i think who were you talking about someone recently and i was like wow it is amazing that this person just beyonce kept improving beyonce is definitely up there um but yeah so i think what i found fascinating about this album is that it was released when they were huge and the reviews just check out their wikipedia page it's like reviews from the time are there is not a weak song on this album Mm. and i think it's amazing that people manage to still put out high quality um, product 
when they're under so much pressure. Yeah, I can I can do it. Mm. Can't sing. We but. crumble at the pressure of like, gosh, I can't. I can't tell you the last time I managed to go to the toilet at a urinal with another person there. Oh my god, I can't. I can't do it. That's a very real thing. To any females listening, it's weird, but it happens to a lot of men. Do you know what? I um I just like everything just closes mm. and I just can't go. Um, and the only way I can do it is if I have <laughs> headphones in or if I'm like listening to music or singing a song to myself mm. and I have to really concentrate. But I'll, I'll very, more often than not, I'll take cubicles off. Um, that's why I picked the album. So, into the album. What do you think? Uh, J'adore it. J'obsessed with it. Je wanna be it. I thought it was, as I said before, I thought it was really cool that there were so many different influences going on. Um, and obviously, Boy George is white, but it seemed like a very, like, there were a lot of, there's a lot of, like, black female voices mm. in there. Mm. There's a lot of songs about, like, diversity mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm. Um, the band's name, Culture uh, Club. Yeah. Um, so in the band, so George... I believe is very white. I think he's come from comes from an Irish background. Right. There's definitely a black guy. Maybe he's is he a drummer or a guitarist? I don't know. But there's also another guy who um, I think is of like mixed heritage, and I think George had like an affair with him <gasps> or something. T. But no, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Sorry. Oh, I was just was saying. Super diverse. I just loved. I just. I just. I guess I I had this perception of culture club that i thought they were a certain way or about a certain thing and i really didn't know anything about them and i feel bad about that but that's what this whole podcast is for um but listening to it i was so like songs like church of the poison mine which is obviously such a banger what do you like about that song because that's actually joe's favorite really? and it never fully clicked with me so tell me why you love that song because it's it's a it's like a gospel song yes it is yeah and it, i was t- i was i was taken to church yeah and it's, it was just it's just fun yeah, yeah um i also real really liked um but then th- so, so you've got something like that but then just before that is that's the way which is a very like kind of like somber kind of sad mm-hmm. song do you know what I actually it really struck me that yesterday? Um, I uh, had a friend of dinner and we played each other's Desert Island Discs to each other. And um, I, without giving anything away, I realised that all of my Desert Island Discs are actually really, pretty much all of them are really, really simple songs. Really just straightforward, simple, um, uncomplicated songs. And I think that that's maybe one of the reasons why this album resonated with me because a lot of the, the songs are really, really simple mm-hmm. and um, well executed, um, but quite straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, it's really difficult. It's more difficult to do that than mm. I think it is. It doesn't really make any sense. But what were your some of, some of your favourite songs? Um, definitely, I love, I, I want to part Karma Chameleon because I'm um, mindful that you just said you're not really a fan of it, but I want to come back to that. Okay. But on, just from that album, I love Miss Me Blind. Love that. You were singing it earlier, weren't you? I really, it, and it's a miracle. I love It's a Miracle. It's a miracle that we're not dead after that salt. I need you to hydrate because I just oh, felt, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just had a big gulp of water and it helped. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, definitely Miss Me Blind and It's a Miracle are my two faves. Um, miss Me Blind. Very that. Thank you. 
Now look, victims. Mm. Um, I remember seeing that live and having never heard it before, really yeah. kind of um, super engaging and captivating. I think he just had did it really pared back. And um, well, it's a simple song, but do you think that... I think that... When did this album come out? Was it 82, 83, 84? It was 1983. <sighs> I don't want to sound like uneducated. This is just a genuine curiosity and I feel like I'm, I should know my history better but were people starting to die of AIDS by 83? I thought that's what you were going to say. I don't know. I mean, I can just, really quickly find out. I, 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 no, I really do, oh Gosh. I Listeners, I really don't want to sound ignorant. This is me not sounding ignorant and I do like to be well read upon this stuff but I believe that as a crisis of people really dropping like flies. Um, I didn't think that really started to happen until the second half of the 80s. I, I think that you're right. I can only just imagine that this really super somber song about victims, my natural go-to is George singing about his friends, maybe? Mm. But I really don't know. Is that is that for any reason other than it's just that it's called victims? Um, Perchance. And I guess I have this image of... George, early 80s, um, Roxy music, that kind of... Hey, so you know how we're a bit fixated on, like, times and places and periods that can't be recaptured? Yes. Um, early 80s London was very much that, like, Lee Bowery, um, wild camp, everyone going out with the incredible makeup, boys and girls wanting to look like Boy George. Boy George was, like, like the very epicentre of mm. that. I think they even made a musical... Called Taboo. Do you yes. Taboo? Oh my God. Oh my God. It's the story of his life. Is it a story about Boy George or Lee Bowery? But either way, Boy George, I think, wrote oh, the Boy musical. George. Oh, okay. But it's really a, a lot about Lee Bowery as well. Hey, do you know much about Lee Bowery other than like what you've seen on Drag Race and stuff? No. Okay, super I cool. He was, I thought he was from New York. He's from bloody Melbourne. What? Lee Bowery is from a really crappy suburb of Melbourne called Sunshine, which is not sunny at all. No. And he, he's Aussie. Oh um, my God. But, but hold um, up, hold up, hold up, Mr. Loverman. Mm -hmm. He was part of that whole New York scene, right? So he moved to London, I think in his early 20s, Hot. and then he blew up and became the Lee Bowery that we know in London, but was very much also part of the New York scene as well. And so sorry for people that don't know who Lee Bowery is. Lee Bowery was like a performance artist kind of gender... Well, look up Club words. Kid in the dictionary. He was and a Club Kid. He yeah. was the, the Club, Club Kid. Kids. He was pre, you know, your Suzanne Barches and that kind of who's, thing. Have you seen Party Monster? Uh, I haven't actually seen it, but I know it's not? about... Oh, no. my God, you'd love it. but Because it's James St. James, but what's the name? Who's I can't remember who Macaulay Culkin is, but... Famous Club Kid, anyway. Um, but also, like, if, you've, if you're familiar with season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race, the episode where they all do the... Thing where they all wear the masks. Face keenies. And face keenies. Well, well, that's basically Lee Bowery. And yeah. um, I think Nina West did the closest to Lee. And she looked amazing. And people quite rightly applauded her for doing that. But I don't, I still don't think enough people know about Lee. Yeah, mm. it's a good, good thing to know about. Yeah. Just to go back to the HIV AIDS yep. thing. So the first reported case, I believe, was in 1981. Yep. Uh, by 1983 we were really cooking with gas. So, so it really it could have, have it could have been, yeah, sure. Um, I think I just, um, yeah, I was going to have thought of that. Um, okay. Um, I was also interested to talk about, talk a bit more about um, 
Boy George as a, um, like a, a figure of eff femininity and, um, and how perhaps uncomfortable he would have made like the mainstream mm -hmm. feel. Because mm -hmm. Karma mm -hmm. Chameleon and Do, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me are big mainstream, almost like, in fact, not even almost. They're wedding songs. They're mm -hmm. so mainstream that you'd play mm -hmm. that at like a wedding. It's very that. But I also think that he made people... Have you listened to his Desert Island Discs? No, I'd love to. It's really interesting and it's it's quite an old one because it's Sue Lawley. Oh, you've told me about this, haven't you? Yeah. yeah go on then. So it's Sue Lawley. And you know how sometimes Sue can be a bit of a judgmental bitch? Absolutely. So if you're listening, I hope you're now in 2019. But we love you, Sue. Yeah. But, yeah. you know. Anyway, I think it came out, it must have came out in like the mid-90s mid, mid 90s maybe or early 2000s. But basically, she kind of, she literally asks him what it's like to, to um, she says something like, do you wish you were normal? Do you wish that you were just like, you know, people viewed you as norm normal because, you know, you, you've, you've made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And he's like, well, what's normal? And she says, being heterosexual. And it's like, that wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. And he, but the weird thing is, is he, he, he's, he, he kind of like, it's kind of like punk rock because he kind of doesn't give a shit. Mm. He's like, I don't want to be normal. Mm. I don't want to be heterosexual. No. I am. And, and she kind of can't wrap her head around it. No. Um, and that was in like, as you say, the late 90s, 2000s. Yeah. So I, I actually remember being a lot younger and seeing him on TV or in a newspaper as he would have been at maybe like, Plumper stage or something. But when, very he, when he used to draw his jawline, uh, his jawline on, mm -hmm. I was like, "That's iconic." His George line. Um, <laughs> he's lost a lot of weight now. He's lo yeah, he looks amazing now. Um, but even like feeling a bit uncomfortable myself yeah. seeing a man in makeup. Mm -hmm. So just to go back to your comment, like, how would he have made people feel in the early eighties, or do you think that would have been that added? filter of well he's a superstar so people are a bit more it's, kind of it's tricky isn't it because there's that yeah we look 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 back at it now and think oh my god wasn't it so bad but like look at like you said before look at bowie look at mm. prince they were all kind of playing with gender yes whereas people really weren't so much anymore late 90s early 2000s we did yeah. kind of go a bit more bland didn't yeah. we the 80s were wild and then we went bland again yeah what, what was the, what's that about why is that? i don't know but i always go back to that phrase that rupaul has where he talks about when people always ask him about is when when the end of drag race or drag queens being mainstream when will it be nigh when will we go back the other way and he and he always says something quite eloquent along the lines of well we've gone far too we've gone too far to ever go completely back in the closet now but naturally throughout history there is a pendulum mm. and there is a pendulum that swings from maybe safe and conservative to liberal and wacky. However, it's more nuanced and complex than that. So at the minute, I think that we're becoming more outrageous and more out there as a response to incredibly conservative, right-wing leaning governments. Yeah. Um, but definitely Rue says that in the lull of his career, which was between Clinton and Obama, um, definitely the US was very much playing it safe. Right. Like in just terms of their general culture, 9-11, um, knuckle down, head in the sand, don't want anything weird or out there. And, right. and then towards the end of that, that was when like, I mean, I'm literally just speaking about RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race, but 
the metaphor that he uses, I think, can be applied to other things. And I think, I don't know, for some reason, things do go um, from one end to the other. To, to that point, then, do you think the most interesting, engaging art is made during times of unrest? For sure. Yeah, I think so, yeah, too. 100%. But then that's like, it's that, like, it's a bit of a catch-22, because it's like... You want to... I want the good mm, art, but mm. I don't want the unrest. But maybe we will always be swinging between those two. Mm. And I'm happy to swing. Happy to. Happy to. Hey, what's the film where someone's called Perpetua? Perpetua. It's uh, Bridget Jones. Oh, right. Thank you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, Brandon. <laughs> sorry, you've just got a bit of salty sauce on your chin. No, I don't. You do do I? Oh, do. my God. I, I can't can see the crystals the of sodium. Um, um, no, it's like, no, it's just my sweat. I've just become <laughs> pure so salt. Oh my god, the gross! It's in my beard. I can't believe that's been there the whole time. Anyway, um, so, I want to ask you. Yes, they're real. Why, um, through the lens of what we talked about, of way maybe why you thought you didn't like Culture Club, and then you came, you know, whatever. Um, why don't you like Karma Chameleon? And to that point, the other one as well. Do you really want to hurt me? Do you really want to hurt me? I think I'd probably listen to more than Karma Chameleon. But if I'm being completely honest, doll, I've just heard it so much. Fair. And I can I can appreciate it for like what it is. And true to form, the first time, you know, because I think we had this conversation a few episodes ago where I'm like, I'm always, when I do my research, my reading, when I do my homework for the podcast, I'm always going to listen from the album from beginning to end and experience it as one, like, um, whole piece. This piece. <laughs> this piece. <laughs> yeah, ate your words then, didn't you, Michelle, when she came out <laughs> to perform one of the most iconic performances of all time. Anyway. Um, first time I listened to, to the album, I did that. I did do that. I listened to it. Because Karma Chameleon is the first song on the album. So I listened to it and I... I, I, I I was like, I will listen to Karma Chameleon. But then as I was listening to the, to it again and again and again, I was like, you've heard Karma Chameleon. Don't right. you know how it goes? Yeah, okay. So, I don't know. I think it's just, I, I've just heard it's, it. It's not It's not for any other reason than, I think, just overexposure. I think that's so fair enough because I, I have that about so many songs as well. And I think maybe, maybe I just haven't been personally as overexposed to Karma Chameleon as others. I, I feel like I definitely have with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Mm. I feel like. I don't have any urge to listen to that song anymore, but there's something special about Karma Chameleon to me, and I don't really know why. Well, it comes um, and goes. I... <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that song, Underneath the Surface Level, um, is definitely about heartbreak. Uh-huh. I can hear that coming through. And there's a really special lyric in... Um, towards the end and you know when you have like this bank in your head of like just lyrics that you just really love like little couplets which just are just special to you for maybe some vague reason which you can't quite put your finger on mm -hmm. um every day is like survival you're my lover not my rival Ooh. you're my lover not my rival um just makes me feel this rush of things like kind of trying to almost fight having to have to fight with um, a romantic partner because of like this silly overflowing melting pot of emotions and kind of it's all just so silly but so intense and high emotion and drama and 
I could just hear George being like, this is just so silly, we don't need to do this. I also think that um, that, like, specifically the word rival, mm. you're my lover, not my rival, is, I I think that is a very gay... I think so too. ...homosexual uh, thought, because, I don't know if you've ever had this, but in, I would say, every relationship I've ever had, I've always, to a degree, felt some kind of competition. Every? Not in different ways. My okay. first relationship, it was a, it was like, okay, right, who, who, who's, who's going to win this? Because... Uh, yeah, I think that's actually universal. And I think, I'm sorry to cut you off because I really want you to finish your story, but I no, think that's fine. what it, that's what it taps into with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have completely nailed this so accurately. I think when I hear it, I think about being a 17 year old yeah. and being a rival with my partner. I certainly don't feel like that anymore. And I think you're right in that their rivalries in maybe different ways. I really hope I don't feel like that, but it's a it's a 17 year old boy feeling. Yeah, that's. I mean, my first relationship was very. We were. It was amazing. It was like one. It, I couldn't have asked for a more lovely um, first experience of love, and we were truly, truly, deeply in love with each other. To the, but to the point where we, because you're 17 and you're so insecure, and you've literally got it. It was so arresting to. Because we were both men, people literally at parties would like stand us next to each other and be like, discuss who they thought was the hotter one. And it's just like, looking back, it's like, do you know what? Excuse my French, but fuck off. Like, what's that going to do for my self esteem? But then in subsequent relationships, not necessarily a competition per se, but it's just, it's easier to compare yourself to someone else when they're the same gender as you. And I kind of hate that because it's almost a bit sort of, I don't want to gender things too much, but. You, you just—it's—it's it's easier to make those comparisons because you're more likely to look the same, wear the same clothes, mm-hmm. have the same opinions, mm-hmm. you know, um, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it, when when you just said that lyric, it made me think that it's—it speaks specifically to um, a, a gay experience. And definitely, when you say gay, I'm definitely including um, females in yeah, this. Yes, that's why I said I've, like homosexual before, even though it sounds a bit weird to say homosexual. But. I've definitely got yeah. um, <laughs> gay female friends who I know have experienced this sensation because I've been their friend through it. It's like really weird, really bonkers. And I think I definitely think you're right, way more associated with starting to have these romantic dalliances, late teens, early 20s. And I think you definitely we grow out of it as we become more mature and experienced in this area and our you know those silly comparisons that you just said that friends make and stuff our friends grow up as well and um we've definitely grown up through a time of huge transition in society anyway Mm. when people stop looking at us as um kind of which one does that there and it's just like oh actually we are just like humans like you as well so no but i Maybe because I haven't been so overexposed to that song, I really love Karma Chameleon. Okay, well, do you know what then? Now, whenever I listen of it, listen listen to it, I'll think of you. And I think I'm also going to put it on my um, Crying at the Discotheque playlist, maybe. I'm going to trial it out there, plug, because um, <laughs> there's definitely, yeah, like I said, heartbreak and maybe a little bit of desperation, but it's also a bit of a bop. Yeah. It's a mid-tempo bop. A mid-tempo, an MTB. <laughs> Look, doll... Oh, we're coming this has been so much fun. I know, but do is there any actually there's one thing I wanted to quickly talk about. Mm. Uh first of all, do you deal in black money? 
I didn't get that song. <laughs> no, I just liked it. Because uh, isn't that like the one song he does over, like the one line he does over Yeah, over? it's just like, that. No, I don't, George. <laughs> um, but there's a couple of, there's like, okay, I'm interested in the fact that in this album, we've got a song called Mr. Man, got a song called Man Shake, and a song called Mystery Boy, and he's called Boy George. He just talks about like, I think it's interesting, like, you know we were going to do the Anthony and the Johnsons album, and we will do it at some point. All of loads of those songs are about um, girls and women and females, and and Boy George. All of like a lot of these songs um, are about men and being a man, and I guess being attracted to men. Um, and it just felt it was there was it just felt like there was a kind of a cool weird not symmetry but like I don't I don't know if like Anoni and Boy George are kind of like maybe versions of each other or something. I love that you've raised this so hard because you've just reminded me and oh, yeah, didn't you say before? expanded wonderfully on a point that I want, my last point that I wanted to raise. When we discussed doing that Anthony and the Johnsons album, then we thought, let's park that for a few more in the future. Um, there's a song on that album called You Are My Sister uh-huh. featuring Boy George. Yes! And I was reading about it and one, uh, and I think Anoni has explicitly said many times, one of her biggest idols was and is Boy George. Love that. And you can just imagine Anoni as um, an uncomfortable young boy feeling incredibly confused with herself and himself and not knowing where to look for someone like her and seeing fucking Boy George mm. and just thinking there are people out there who are somewhat like me yeah. and look different and make it, you know, I maybe there's somewhere on this journey and even the song that they sung together you are my sister yeah. gives me shivers even thinking oh about my God, like I can't, yeah. an idol that you saw on tv and you bought those records and then maybe becoming friends with and becoming your sister through your life as it is now and i just think you're right i think there is a connection between the two and i think quite literally they are friends mm. and i think that's so wonderful how co- it must be so cool to kind of see someone i mean i guess for you, it would maybe be the Spice Girl. Like, if you were a musician and then you grew up and you got to like perform with the Spice Girls, like, wouldn't you just die? Well, right. I think right now on the tour that they're on right now, um, the other day one of Malby's dancers posted a video on his Instagram. He'd be like our age now and posted a video so of 22. him as like a five or six year old singing. Clearly, is like a really gay little young six-year-old singing Say You'll Be There on his parents' camcorder. And he posted it saying, I, this child is now dancing with the Spice Girls. And Melby commented under it saying, I'm crying watching this. Oh, I'm getting, I'm going to, I'm welling up. Like, it's so special. It's so special. that's so lovely. Yes. That is so lovely. But just the last thing on Anoni and Boy George. Yeah. um, They're fucking voices. They're they're, voices. So rich and wonderful. Yeah. Is Anoni um, American? Um, born in the UK, grew up in America. Right. Fab. Um, look, I guess now is the time to wrap up, but I've really enjoyed this. And Me I too. Think, um, it, look, listeners, if you do take anything away from this, maybe it's what both Drew and I have um, taken away ourselves in that we came into this with preconceptions of Culture Club and Boy George. Um, and even though I already knew I liked them, I think we both are quite sure that we re- we really like them. Yeah, I'm going to listen to um, like other albums of theirs. They're talented and they were successful for a reason and 
yeah, if you don't know this album, I think really give this one a go. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Thanks for that, Andy. That was lovely. And it's it's my last one before I go away for a bit. Oh, that's sad. I know. Um, look, I, I know we did this last episode, but do you want to quickly say what you're listening to? Right oh, now? yeah. No, that was one of my favourite bits. Okay, let me... You Do you want to go first? Um, frothing for this. I've bored you your ears off about this, but I haven't told the world. Miley Cyrus's new EP is so bloody good. It's so cool. It's unusual. It's weird, but it's... Like, it feels like it's on the cutting edge of pop right now. She goes from a feature of Ghostface Killer into RuPaul. Uh-huh. And RuPaul trots out his, like, fierce, um, slightly overused catchphrases. But he also has a really cool rap as well. Mm. Um, I love the one with... Is it Swaley or Swaley? He did Crave with Madonna, too. I know. I actually really like Crave. Shit, I tried to go a whole episode without talking about Madonna. Fucker! Oh, right at the end! Oh. But oh, great I, song anyway. <laughs> I, um, to be fair, though, like, that's progress, doll. I've done I well mentioned there. Madonna, and you when? did it before you did, because I... Oh, no, I didn't. I said Spice Girls. I could Madonna. have mentioned her, like, when we were talking about pop stars in the 80s, but I didn't. I kept... Oh. And now she's had more airtime than ever. Look, the song on the Miley Cyrus EP is so good. Please listen to it. It's really, really good. I really like... My favourite one is Mother's Daughter. Such a strong opener. Such yes. a strong... I love... I just... Yeah, love it. Um, from one queer icon to another, I have been listening to um, Trixie Mattel's new song quite awesome. a lot. Called Yellow Cloud, which is kind of... Did you like her... Uh, the kind of... She did like a, a, two albums. One called... Rocks and Paper two... Scissors or something. <laughs> Um, one was called Two Birds and the other one was called One Stone. Yeah, um, just really good music, isn't yeah, it? She's a and very this, talented musician. Yeah, and this is like more of that, but it's a bit more kind of like, um, it reminds me a bit of that kind of like 60s kind of, you know when Emma Bunton did that like whole kind of like maybe 60s mm. thing? It's kind of, it's a bit like that. Cool. Okay. Um, so that's what I'm listening to right now. Love that. And um, we'll put them in the playlist. And we we're going to wrap up now. Um, look, let's keep this short and sweet. Follow us on Instagram right now. Rate us on Apple right now. Listen to the next episode. Tell all your friends. Goodbye. Goodbye. Right, let's go watch Aladdin. Oh, hold up, it starts in half an hour. Mm.